Fast, efficient, and affordable business-grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates, and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting, amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today, or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us. Big ones, little ones, fiddly ones, powerful ones. The ones for the car or the truck, caravan, boat, mobility scooter, solar system. In fact, for any kind of battery, go straight to Battery Central Ipswich. They'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what'll do the job. Battery Central Ipswich, 280 Brisbane Street, West Ipswich, in the Yellow Building. Expert advice, better batteries, best prices every day. That's Battery Central Ipswich. Episode 771 of the Aussie Tech Heads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Yes, you are. And so am I. How you doing, man? Are you sure? You no can't idea. prove anything. I, I don't even know what... What are we doing? Um, Watching Netflix. Done. It's one of those... You know where you get your friends to join in while you watch a movie and then you can talk... Oh, did you see that? Wasn't that cool? And then your friend's one of those people back... like, Shut up, I don't like talking during the movie. Yeah. I remember back in the day, me and my cousin, uh, my nephew, actually, every time MacGyver was on, he was in Victoria and I was up here in Brisbane. This is back when Dial oh, 1 for Optus was yeah. a thing. And uh, they had cheaper, in, you know, uh, long distance rates yeah. back when that was actually an issue. And uh, yeah, MacGyver was on. So every, every week at, you know, whatever time it was on, five minutes before it was due to start. Either he'd ring me or I'd ring him and we'd sit there with the phone sitting in front of the TV. <laughs> did you see uh, that explosion? And he just did it with a paper clip and a bit of silly putty and some orange juice and blew up the whole house. How cool is that? Yeah, I used to, we used to do it all the time. It was great. <laughs> oh, man. Those were days. Orange juice for explosions. Apparently for um, Fight Club... They said the actual recipe for making their bombs and they had to take it out because the um, movie producers didn't like it. So they threw in orange juice instead for one of the ingredients just so people at home wouldn't blow yeah. themselves up. <laughs> well, Mythbusters had to do that all the time. Um, they did that on MacGyver. A lot of the time, MacGyver, they actually had a physicist and a chemist and like actual experts on set so when it got to like him creating a bomb out of x and y ingredients they could legitimately use those ingredients but they would always change something or they'd just not show them doing something or they'd screw up the ratios deliberately so that you couldn't emulate what they were doing yeah because in the very 
in the very first one in the um the uh pilot yeah they actually it's in the if you watch the pilot they actually kept the full recipe how to make a he basically made a uh, flashbang. All right, <laughs> and it's it's uh, the full recipe is actually in there. Like he crafts it all and does it all and grinds up the magnesium and puts it with phosphorus and puts it with, um, basically makes up ampho as the mix. Like it goes through step by step on how he actually does it all. <laughs> so and like it's the only episode that they actually had the full thing in. After that, they they had took it out. Uh. Um, but it's quite a common thing. Even a lot of YouTube videos I watch now. Yep. Um, you're watching like this scientist guy and it's like okay so we're gonna we're gonna make this and you use this ingredient and then you use those two ingredients over there and uh, i'll come back when i'm done <laughs> what about electro boom does he fake things <laughs> he oh he well he crafts them so it doesn't kill himself most but, of the time well, usually although sometimes <laughs> he doesn't normally when he normally when you see an explosion he does it legitimately he makes it do it because he knows how to do it safely there have been a couple of occasions where things he's he's dropped something or he's shorted something inadvertently (laughs) you can always tell the difference because when it's a fake or a fake one like it's still a real explosion but when it's something like a capacitor or something that has got rigged to explode he goes off and he throws it and he swears and carries on and jumps back but when it's actually an accidental one that he doesn't mean to do, it goes bang. He's like, whoops. <laughs> like, <laughs> his, his persona is entirely different. <laughs> I think it might have been when he was making a Jacob's Ladder or something and he accidentally uh, touched the wrong thing or something. His hand in <laughs> there was one there one day. It was I think it might have been the same one where he was doing something with the high current and he's like dropped the pen or something and he stuck his head down the He's great, Electro Boom. If you haven't um, never watched, you want to see good good um, comedy routines, watch Electro. Even if you just watch the compilations. Yeah. Um, it's very memeable. Third party compilations. Hey? He's very memeable. He really is. And he's, um, keeping in mind, he's an incredibly, incredibly smart electrical engineer. Like, he, the brains this man has is insane, which makes these screw ups even more hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the ones that actually legitimately, he's just like, because sometimes when you're looking through a camera, you know, he's, he's actually explained it a couple of times. He's been doing something, looking through a camera, you lose your depth of field. Yep. So yep. he's gone to reach for something that's not where he thought it was and he's shorted a couple of things out or, he yeah. He some Google glasses or something with a camera in it. <laughs> those Snapchat, remember they had those Snapchat glasses you had oh. to get from a kiosk or something and everybody wanted them. There's a guy on that. YouTube who actually shows you how to make a set of projected lens um, glasses and he uses it he runs it off a um, old HP pocket palm pocket thing because it has the text output Um, and he uses it for all his scripts so while he's talking to camera his script scrolling through (laughs) yeah he reads it directly off that (laughs) it's also got alarms and notifications and stuff but yeah it's pretty cool like it it's um very expensive to even make them yourself because the technology isn't commonplace. Yep. But it's still cheaper than buying like Google Glasses or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was. Um, yeah, there's a lot of shows that change. He's way even I was watching. Us. I was watching Blue Healers. Yep. Um, and I was watching a behind the scenes 
uh, ironically, years after the show finished. Um, but they were saying that when they started the Blue Heelers and somebody, for example, was stealing a car, they used to actually show how the car was stolen. Um, but, of course, after the first few shows, they revised their plans. Yeah. But the dumb part is they had a Magna and this, this Steve thief, thief, thief stole a Magna and he literally like reached under the dash, pulled out some wires, touched two wires together and drove off. Yep. And this prompted Mitsubishi to put a massive ad campaign out saying, our cars can't be stolen that easy. And <laughs> they, they like a, wrote, they you know contacted Blue Heelers and said, you need to address this. And that's not how our cars... You know, they're, they're more secure than that. And they got really advanced, you know, and it's been features like a and, staple of movies for 50 and, years. Hard yeah. work. And Blue Heelers is like, well, okay, either you understand that this is a TV show and every car gets stolen that way, or we can legitimately reshoot that entire episode and actually steal it the way you would steal a car for real. Yep. Oh. Just get okay, one of those then. signal boosters in between <laughs> the car and the keys. So, but yeah, well, that was the other thing too. The original Gone in 60 Seconds done in the mid-80s by HP uh, uh, Halakai, he's, he did the original Gone in 60 Seconds, Gone in 60 Seconds 2, the junk man, and actually died while filming the third one ah. uh, when he saved a kid from a falling water tower. Um, there was a water tower that was rigged to explode as the cars went under it. And this kid wandered onto set right under this water tower as it was about to fall. Oh, God. And he he basically ran up to the kid and threw the kid safe and the water tower landed on him. Oh, um, but the original Eleanor and everything comes from that, from the original show. Yeah. And in the first s- sequence of that, the reason it's called Gone in 60 Seconds is within the first sequence you see him walk up to the, there's actually the QE2 uh, cruise ship was docked, I think I think it's shot in like Manhattan. I can't remember exactly wherever it's docked in, or LA. It was docked there at the port. And you see him walk up to the port and get a screwdriver and push down on a pressure plate so the ticket machine pops out a ticket. He grabs a ticket, wanders over to the car he wants, gets a, um, which is commercially available actually, gets a, a door popper kit, just puts it down, pops the lock, jumps inside, reaches under the dash, pulls the... Um, pulls the wiring off of the back, back, back of the dash. Gets a slide hammer, screws it into the lock, pops the lock out of the dash. Gets a spare key. He's got plugs it in, starts it, and drives off. <laughs> and that's literally why it's called Gone in sixty seconds because that's how long it used to take him to steal a car. Ah. And um, but there's five or six instances of that throughout the whole movie where it actually shows you step by step. I mean, it's kind of irrelevant because they're now they're forty, fifty year old cars. I mean, they were twenty year old cars then, yeah. but. Yeah, he literally goes through and shows you the exact steps required to steal a vehicle. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's mad. Yeah, and like there's one, for example, at the airport where they're after a, um, uh, I think it's a limousine. I can't remember exactly what they're after. I think it's one of the limousines. So what they do is, because obviously the rich people would get dropped off in a limousine and then the driver, who the chauffeur, would come around to the back while they're going into their first class you know little window thing the driver would come around the back grab all the bags out of the boot and follow them behind into the airport 
Well, as soon as they did that, he just walked up the side of the car, jumped in and drove off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, yeah, they, but that was, you know, uh, other than the fact it's got one of the coolest car chase scenes in, like, any movie ever. Yep. Um, that was legitimately shot with not no none of them were stunt drivers. They were all just mates. Oh. They were all just friends who hung out and decided to shoot a movie one day. <laughs> and um, yeah, they wrecked six hundred and fifty cars or something. Wow! Um, Is that more yeah. than the Blues Brothers? Um, they it wrecked was, a lot of cars. <laughs> it was like legitimately wrecked. Yes, uh, the Blues Brothers were just firing cars out of air cannons at one point there to make the numbers up. <laughs> so it kind of does. They actually, I think, ultimately they actually wrecked more cars. But in gone in gone six seconds, they actually legitimately wrecked more cars. Um, you know, but you, they don't they don't do movies like like you know you, you back then they had shots of them going over. Actually, a lot of this stuff, if you've watched the original and you watch a new one, a lot of the suburbs and street names and everything are actually really familiar because they kind of follow the same path. Oh, okay. Um, That's cool. Yeah. But they're going over the bridge, for example. You know, the bridge in the new one where he jumps the tow truck. Yep. Well, in the old one, they had boom gates. And um, you see him just absolutely fly through these boom gates at like 120 mile an hour. And like, they didn't know the only people that knew was like the two pretend cop cars that were chasing behind him. Like <laughs> they didn't get permission to shoot any of this stuff. They legitimately just shot it. Uh, <laughs> you know, they got the friends who had car dealerships and said, Hey, we want to just drive through your car dealership. And I promise not to wreck too much. <laughs> you better not. <laughs> you know, like the studio back at dealership where all these cars are lined up at, you know, they used to line them all up at the front side by side, make them all look pretty. Mm. Well, what they did was they put the, the end couple, they put them on um, basically steel plates and put a bit of oil down on the concrete so that when he hit them, that side. So it just looked good for the film. Well, the problem is you completely misjudge your speed. Remember, not a stunt driver, just a good driver. Completely misjudge your speed, hit it about four times the speed it was supposed to hit it at and drove about eight cars into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, you've got to watch it. Preferably get the... There's three versions of it, annoyingly. Um, the new director's cut is probably the worst one because they cut out one of the best, like, five minutes of the movie in the car chase scene. Um, the best one, if you can get it, is actually the original... Uh, I think it's called the anniversary edit that was on VHS. Yeah. Um, it's got the, the best the best version of it. Um but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. If you like car chase movies, you've got to watch that one. <laughs> anyway, that's nice. a long way of saying, yes, they've been doing that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I took I took this week off work to do some Minecraft programming to make mods, and I ended up helping a friend launch a new internet radio station, retronoises.au, if anyone wants to check it out. You can get it on stream.retronoises.au, colon, 8000. And um, you can do a lot That's of... That's easy to remember. Yeah. Well, if you go to the <laughs> website, it's still under construction, so you can't click on the player just right now, but we'll eventually get into um, TuneIn app and all of those things as we should be. But um, he just started off, we were having a chat about stuff, and he said, wouldn't it be cool to, you know, put together a radio station or something? I was like, yeah, that sounds good. 
next minute he's got it up and running we've got software and i've done a couple of shows so every monday night aest australian time i'm doing my retro regeneration show that i used to do on great lakes fm and then wednesday nights is the crypt which is kind of industrial alternative gothy type music but um been a lot of fun i've learned node.js so that i can write discord bot which i've never done before and you can ask the bot what's the name of the current song and it connects to the shoutcast server and downloads the information displays it there and you can ask it how many people listening right now but i also got an account at the um, music database and so if you type in now photo as one word in command it connects to the shoutcast asks it what's the current band playing and then goes off to the music database and gets a photo of that band and displays it in the discord chat and you can also do now bio and it'll show you a small bio about the band that's currently playing so that was a lot of interesting fun learning how to do node.js which i've i did some i think uh the fitbit programming that i did was actually ended up being node.js it didn't start out it was just css plus uh, javascript but then they went right into node.js with node modules and stuff so i've been putting in new ideas for commands and stuff and unfortunately with the shoutcast server when you want to get a history of recent songs it, the the current song playing and the information about people connecting and stuff is all in um, json format which is easy to pass but the history is only in the html web page so then i had mm. to learn how to download into an array the um web page that's got the history and then sort through them getting rid of all the headers and the other crap and then just matching out the times the last songs were played and the name of it and abandon everything and then get the bot to destroy it, display that on the screen so it was quite interesting programming but um got that up and going i'm converting it over to a wordpress site at the moment so i've been doing that uh most of today came up with a funky little oh. logo don't do that. It'll send you random emails for a website that hasn't been, for an email address that hasn't been active for That's seven right. years. <laughs> so I designed a logo for it. But if you go to retronoise.au, eventually we'll have a um, player up there. We did have it on the old site that was just HTML and PHP, and that worked fine. But now I've converted it over. And, uh, WordPress really doesn't like you embedding PHP in pages, so I'm trying to... <laughs> wrangle it around to get it to accept that because the uh, player is all in php and javascript so we'll get there but having a lot of fun well i must be able to do it mm, there'll be a way to do it because yeah, well, sure i've got, I got these the plugins called insert php and i run it and put it in there the exact code that you're supposed to put there and reload the page nothing Try a JavaScript version, reload the page, nothing. So I don't know what's going oh, see, on. That was for the that was for the point zero zero one version that was yeah. released two weeks ago. <laughs> We've re rewritten the entire code since then. It doesn't work anymore. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, should we do some news? News. It's too wet to do news. You know, we worked out. We've had rain every day. Yep. For nearly sixty days. Holy cow. With some some amount of rain. Yeah. 
That's ridiculous. You guys are getting really hit with it. Today was a nice sunny day. We went out, out to shopping center and had some lunch, visited the radio station. We had a massive downpour earlier today. Yep. Must have been five or eight mil in 30 seconds. Like, it was insane. Wow. <laughs> what are you all doing up there? Uh, they reckon this weekend's supposed to be fine for, like, four days. Wow. Good luck with that. <laughs> the downside is dropping the temperatures down to like minus seven. Oh, jeez. So, because it's fine. <laughs> so it was 28 or 29 today. Yeah. It's still like 21 now. That's nuts. Um, and yeah, over the weekend, it's supposed to drop to like minus seven. <laughs> so <laughs> Get your warm uh, jammies on. Oh, it's going to be fun. Especially with the, the uh, all the... Power companies are saying we're in for massive price hikes come the end of... Yeah, I was going June, to tell really? you, I got an email from Amber saying due to the price is exceeding what we predicted, we're going to give you a credit on your next bill. I think it was oh, something finally. like $40 or something. Nice. Whereas before I got like $2 because I got so much solar. But yeah. I ran the um, ant miner for a while, and that sucked up a lot of the juice, so I switched it off again. There's a guy on YouTube. I haven't watched a video yet. It only popped up in my feed today. He's using his crypto mining rig to heat his pool. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the water cooling off his rig is diverting into his pool, and it's heating his pool. While he generates <laughs> Bitcoin. Yeah, so, but at least he hasn't... Because like, he was running a pool heater, and he's like, well, this way it costs me about the same to run my crypto boxes it does to run my pool heater and I don't have to run my pool heater. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that tells you something about the way crypto boxes are, are set up. It's good for something. <laughs> good for the winter. You don't want to <laughs> have it in your bedroom though because it's loud as a jet taking off. Well, yeah. I mean, that's like this computer room now. I've got my computer here with my three screens and my AMD sitting up above me. I've got Bub's computer sitting over there with his AMD and his two screens sitting over there yeah i got the server rack behind me with the server the media center the foxtel box uh the amplifier and everything sitting just there so <laughs> in summer it's horrible but in winter this is the warmest room in the house <laughs> <laughs> spend all your time there <laughs> all righty let's do this thing complaints to the telecommunications industry ombudsman are on the rise after two years of decline the TIO received 22,203 phone and internet complaints between January and March 22. The number of complaints published yesterday in the Ombudsman's third quarter report showed a 21% increase from the previous quarter. This was the first increase over the last five quarters. The Communications Alliance, which represents telcos, said the complaints reported were still 27% lower than the corresponding quarter in 2021. The figures released by the TIO today show a fall of 8,112 complaints between the two corresponding quarters, continuing a trend of falling complaint volumes in recent years, they said. Communications Alliance CEO John Stanton said any increase in complaints needs to be analysed by the industry to see how customer service and complaint handling can be improved, but there are a number of factors playing into the latest data. There is a seasonal effect, as the first three months of the calendar year usually see slightly higher numbers than other quarters. I suspect that the service disruptions caused by severe flooding in eastern Australia also had some impact. 
statement published by the Ombudsman said, while the current quarter complaint levels are lower than the same time last year, the increase is significant. The Ombudsman Cynthia Gebert said the two-year decrease in complaints was pleasing, but the sector need to remain vigilant and proactive about addressing consumers' problems. I wonder if we're in that ebb and flow cycle where everybody can, like, something happens, everybody complains about it, it doesn't necessarily get resolved, but people just give up complaining because yeah. nothing's changing anyway. And the complaints sort of drop off. And then, you know, the internet might come good again for a month and people realise how bad it's been. And then it drops away again. You get all that, that uptake of, of complaints again. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah, get this yeah. sort of bell curve. Um, it seems to happen in a lot of industries. You, you get, yeah. Uh, it normally coincides with, like... In retail, your complaints coincide with holidays because yeah. everyone's stressed out. Christmas even though you're not necessarily, you're not necessarily doing anything different or anything wrong, or things haven't necessarily changed, but you get more complaints during school holidays because parents are stressed out looking after the kids, trying to get the shopping. So plus, there's more people at the shops in those times. Yeah, the situation itself hasn't necessarily changed. It's the use case of that situation has changed. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, because telcos haven't necessarily, and the reports that they released last month, with a couple of exceptions, for the most part, telcos haven't improved their services. In fact, they've most likely got worse. Yep. So, the increase, even as I said, even though the numbers are lower than they were last year, the fact that they've spiked doesn't mean the services got better no. than it was this time last year. It just means people put up with it for a while <laughs> before they decided to complain about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because um, uh, excess pricing will push retailers and thus users towards an access only 100 megabit plan, which will hollow out the lower end of the market. Um, and NBN could end up as low, could end up as a 100 meg network, and the ACCC thinks that that's too fast. But uh, on Monday afternoon, the ACCC released a con consultation paper on the proposed variation of the NBN Co special access undertaking uh, which would codify NBN's preferred pricing model of uh, removing the loathed connectivity virtual circuit uh, capacity charge on plans of 100 meg and faster. For 12 meg, 25 meg and 50 meg plans NBN is putting forward the same type of model it currently uses where each plan has an allocation of CVC included, which is the uh, the connectivity virtual circuit, uh, often around 6% of the market speed or lower, and would see excess capacity at $8 per one meg per month to retailers. For plans at 100 meg and above, a flat access fee each month is paid. While well, flat price plans are set to increase at the rate of the consumer pay price index plus 3%, Initially, the greater CPI or 3% later, which is higher than the pure CPI increase, the ACCC believes excess usage charges will steer retailers towards the 100 meg plans. As a result of the retention of CVC charging for the bundled products of less than 100 meg and the CVC cost escalation mechanism built into the SAU proposal, we observe that the cost of retailers to the 50 meg product are expected to be equal of the 100 meg product within a few years. And similarly, the 25 meg product will be equivalent of the one of the 50 meg uh the 100 meg so most of the network can't 
sustain 100 meg speeds as they've proven yep yet and the ACCC complain when telcos put people on higher plans than they can actually achieve and yet the ACCC is proposing a change that will see the lower plans the same price or dearer than the high speed plan and the high speed plan will still work out cheaper because it's capped regardless of usage and the ACCC who just complained that they're putting people on a higher speed than they can handle are recommending that everybody goes onto a faster plan even if they can't access it <laughs> fantastic huh it works in this illogical world <laughs> So that's a logical capsule. Citing the Bureau of Communications and Arts Research, because that's two groups that should be together, mm-hmm. the paper said it's forecast that median household speed requirements will be a mere 29 megabits a second in 2028, and only 0.1% of households will need greater speeds than 78 megasecond, while retailers generally are the only ones who need a 100 megasecond. Mm-hmm. Gamers do and this is supposedly in 2028. <laughs> Those speeds are already slow at current... I mean, for the rest of the world, not for Australia, but those, those speeds are already slow for current technology. Yep. In another four years, six, six years' time, IoT and connective devices are going to literally be all there is, effectively. And a 29 megabit plan is going to be sufficient? guess so. <laughs> What? But then the NBN, uh, NBN Co, is saying that the speeds on average need to predict. They're predicting the speeds on average need to increase thirteen percent annually minimum to keep up with demand. But so they're saying the hundred meg this year has to be hundred thirteen meg next year and 130 meg the following year okay, but then. but the this communications and arts research for whatever that's a thing says that the speed's going to go down but then the nbn comes out and said yes the speed's going to increase or the peak speeds are going to be required to increase but it's okay because we're going to increase the cvc at the same speed at the same rate <laughs> so Oh dear, man! I'd love to be the person in charge of this corporation and just like fire everybody and start again. Like literally, that's what needs to happen. Everybody who's involved in this project needs to go away. Um, with people who know what the heck they're doing. So, along with having the technologies introduced by the coalition government in 2013, board under SAU, the proposal seeks to separate NBN services into core and non-core. A non-core is proposed to cover enterprise Ethernet, business satellite, and satellite mobility services would not be bound by the SAU. In an effort to recover its initial cost to build the network, started stated at $38 billion in real terms, or $44.5 billion in no- nominal terms, NBN is putting forward a revenue cap mechanism where it would not make enough money to recover costs for some years, but would begin to rein it all back during later years. The implication of the scenario is the revenue cap would likely fail to act as a binding constraint to NBN Co. or provide any basis for setting prices. Under the NBN Co.'s proposal, there remains no link between underlying costs. Yeah, and here's the problem. There remains no link between underlying costs and the price structure 
price levels or projected price paths. Furthermore, NBN Co's proposed pricing and proposed price paths do not appear to contain any direct link to the current or future demand. They just make it up so, as they go along. Exactly. <laughs> the, not only do they have the ability and the uh, legal standing to basically make it up as they go along, they're not even trying to justify it by saying, oh, yeah, but it'll help it pay the money back quicker or anything like that. No. Just because we want to. And then there's surprise where the NBN shares just majorly tanked when this came out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> who's surprised by that, really? Nobody. <clears throat> How'd you like to go shopping with no cash whatsoever? If a coinless truck. <laughs> Coinless Trolley National Retailer Coles is trialing takes off, you'll be able to use your phone instead. Grocery Giant is trialing the technology as a possible solution to the expensive problem of trolley theft. Various outlets, including Herald Sun, reported that the trial is taking place at Coles Camberwell store. A spokesperson said, Coles is trialing coinless shopping trolley locks at one of our Victorian stores using technology which means customers will no longer need a coin to unlock a trolley. Instead, there'll be a QR code. What do we say about QR codes and people making fake ones and sticking it on there and taking the money? That's a terrible yep. idea. Yeah. Instead, there'll be a QR code on the trolley linked to the Coles Smart Shop app on the customer's phone. In the <laughs> S-Mart Shop app, it's got a lowercase s and then capital M-A-R-T. Smart Shop app, a customer will purchase a $2 digital coin... And when the trolley is returned and locked, the deposit will be returned to the customer's account. In the Camberwell trial, customers who can't use coinless trolleys have to make arrangements with a staff member. It's hoped the technology will help minimise abandoned shopping trolleys in the community, the spokesman said. I saw that when we were down in huh? Victoria that they had the, the trolleys that had... Uh, the, the car park had a... Um, Induction coil Brilliant, around yeah. it, so if you tried to drive your trolley past, the, the wheels would lock. They've basically all had that up here for years. Nowhere around here does. You can take the trolleys anywhere. You see them down at the that. park here. they got a guy with a tractor who drives all around town every couple of days picking <laughs> up all the trolleys. No, that they've mostly also all like $2 coin anyway, or token. But my question is, like, if you... Are willing to take home a trolley already you just spent two dollars on and you're gonna lose your deposit then what's the difference if you use the app <coughs> maybe they can because track you down and knock on your front door and say give us back your bloody trolley you bastard because you're the sort of person who's going to put all your correct information into the app right yeah yeah <laughs> I, I one two three high look, street yeah <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go that far, why don't you do like the Amazon stores are doing in the States and be completely cashless? You literally, as you put something into the trolley, it knows what you've put into the trolley, what you take out of the trolley, and it just charges you when you walk out the door. Yep. You don't even it's have smart. to stop it at checkout. It just literally charges you for what you've got in your trolley. They don't even need anyone working there. They've only, well, they've got people there to stock the shelves. That's the only reason they've got people there. And I mean to help customers if they need to find something or whatever but they don't have to have they don't have that the whole Audi problem where there's 400 people in the shop and then they just close three registers yeah why do they change them so often you go into the Audi it's like 
Check out number because four is closing. Check out number five is opening. Yeah. Check out number six is closing. Check out number two is opening all day long. Because normally the way it works is like Woolies and Coles and all that. You have effectively dedicated checkout people than basically store people. And although the two can cross over jobs, you usually have three or four dedicated checkout people who just work the checkouts. And if it's really quiet, they might close a couple and go and help stock shelves. And then you have 10 people on the floor and two or three of those people might be trained up to use the registers if it gets busy. So, But you've always got people who are dedicated working on the floor and people who are dedicated working on the registers. Audi doesn't work like that. Audi, everybody does both jobs. And they they have yeah, from what have I three understand people working there. Well, that but from what I understand, you have load schedules. You before you have to complete X amount of restocking before you're allowed to go home effectively. Ah. They they give you a, an, an eight hour shift and they say that you need to unload. I don't know what it is. Let's say it's a hundred boxes. You need to repack a hundred boxes on the shelves before you go home. So if you've been stuck on the register for three hours serving customers, you're not going to get your 100 boxes out, are you? No. So that's why as soon as there's less than like six customers, they shut another register so that they can go and do, because they might only have one person whose job it is to be on actually register duty. Then they nearly straight away open up a different register. Yeah, but that'll someone be somebody else. is else. coming off the floor and one's going yeah. in. It'll be whoever's got sort of a head on their stock count is the next person who comes in to open and all the, the next customers register. come down. I'm going down lane five. Wait, no, they're just closed. Now I've got to go up the other end of late night. Hang mm. on, lane two. <laughs> that's my biggest gripe with Audi. And that's actually part of their lower pricing. Obviously, they're paying less staff. Um, they're paying less staff to basically stock the same amount of product. Um, and that's why when you come out the checkout, is... they want you to go, whoosh, 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 whoosh. chuck it all in yeah. your trolley as fast as you can and piss off. I don't. I stand there and load it slowly, and they get the shits at me. But it's so funny. I just stand there and slowly put it away. Yeah, one like, one time, this guy came, walked around, and he starts doing it himself. And no, the like, I'll just stand there, and as they scan the stuff, I'll put it away, and then I'd want that in a different bag, so I put that in a different bag. And you can see, and I and I just look at the. I'll say, well, if they actually cared about the customers, that open another register. Yeah. And. The checkout chick freaks at that point because you just pissed off every customer in the line by realizing the truth. They actually don't care about you. If they actually cared about the customer, they would have what every other major chain store in the country has. They would have self self checkouts. The fact that they don't have self checkouts, which are cheaper to operate, and you don't need to have dedicated staff there to do it, tells you that they don't care about the customers. Mm. They all they care about is you know dollar. This is a dollar because, like, it, it ultimately they'd get their money back. But it's the German process. Like, this apparently Audi is the same way in Germany. That, that's how they work. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just part of their, their pricing structure. But, how, yeah. What it's, happened it's, to it's, Lidl? They were supposed to come over here and take on Audi everywhere. They got huge in the UK all of a sudden. Oh, they really took yeah. off in the UK, and I think they focused their efforts there because they – there's like – in the UK, wherever there's an Audi, there's a little like they literally <laughs> next to each other. Like, it's basically the whole Masters and Bunnings thing, I think. He or Microsoft um, stores and Samsung stores and Apple stores. Yeah, it's funny though. I I haven't heard about little much since Masters disappeared. Oh. So I I don't know if they were going to be 
the same sort of deal? Or? Ours became the council offices. They all moved out <laughs> into the big building, got it done out with nice stuff. Instead of fixing the roads and bridges and yeah. stuff, they bought a warehouse and completely fitted it out with fancy LCD screen out the front. And, uh. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> Why do it properly when you can piss everyone off in the process? Exactly. Um, what are we doing? Oh, yeah. Speaking of um, <coughs> uh, Amazon and the like. Um, so there's a big thing on the moment, obviously, with the elections that's just happened and everyone's talking about you know, banning coal and bringing in nuclear and we're going to change and have a big solar farm and then we're going to have a wind farm and then we're going to have a wave farm. And you and get we'll a Tesla the... and you get a Tesla <laughs> and you all get Teslas. And then we'll, we'll we'll put tanks on the back of cows and capture their farts and have a methane generator and, you know, all, all those things that you hear every time an election comes up. Cool. The one thing we don't have, which we should, because if... Once again, if people actually cared about what they spoke about, we would already have these in place. But, and they've been quite popular in other countries, but California's actually just started to do it. They have what's called an energy recovery facility. Um, and they're generally localized to like local districts. So it's like having a local tip sort of thing. Um, but what they do is they, in this case, they're working with industries, but it doesn't necessarily have to. Um, the the way, it, like, we've got Swanbank here, which is effectively a coal-fired power station, but they burn a lot of the, the rubbish. The thing is with burning rubbish, it's not super efficient generally because there's a lot of plastics, there's a lot of materials in there that just don't like to burn. Um, but... There's a process. There's several different processes you you can use that turns uh, all basically anything that's um, well. Actually, really, it's just, I was going to say anything that's man-made, but that's not true because it works on a lot of um, food waste and stuff as well, and oils and stuff like that. Natural oil. It basically uh, it's called a gasification plant, and it takes waste and heats it to a temperature where the molecules start to break down and transfer and then that 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 goes basically up a effectively a steam pipe that's on an angle and it's got different drip sections on it and the first one is like a very heavy crude oil almost like a tar Mm -hmm. and then you get like a, a heavy oil then you get like a lighter oil then you get like a diesel and then you get like a petrol and then you get basically the end one's like almost like a um, like a white spirit and then the very end you get a, a flammable gas that comes out and each one of those is a fueling a different v- variant of fuel to some degree and so all this material what is only 20-30% efficient to burn is like 95% efficient to gasify and create all these different fuel sources from ah. um, so basically they've just started doing this in um, California at the moment and they're working with major retailers like Amazon, um, Subaru, American Airlines, uh, and a few other ones. And all their industrial waste, they're turning into gasific- putting into gasification plants. Wow. And each um, 
facility, each uh, what they're calling energy recovery facility, which is basically a gasification plant, can power about 18,000 homes. Cool. Now, given that the facility's only got to be the size of a four-car garage, you know, you can place these fairly sporadically through any any neighbourhood, really, and all the waste can be put in there, whether it's food, whether it's commercial, industrial, paints, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we have to pay to specifically dispose of, you know, like, um, you know, your paints and your uh, oils and, and all that sort of stuff that currently gets separated can all go into the gasification plant. Wow. And yeah. you can use, ex, you know, you use a certain percentage of the, the raw materials, uh, the gasification process to power yeah. the station itself. Yeah. But on top of powering the station, you can power an extra, you know, 18,000 homes on top of that. So nice. um, you're not worrying about landfill. You're not worrying about, you don't even need to worry about recycling. You don't need to worry about any of that stuff because a lot of the stuff, the certain grades of oil and that can go to, to run internal combustion engines. They can be used for heating. They can be used for, um, you know, back used again as oil and lubrication and they can be turned back into... Um, petrochemical products again and petroleum-based products and so it has multiple uses and um it's a very very cheap technology to implement it's very cheap to run and manage it doesn't take a lot of skill it, it can be run by somebody with not a lot of training um and the stupid part about it is we used to use gasification plants 100 years ago to make power yeah so it's not a new technology it's an old technology um, but for, full circle. for whatever reason, they suddenly decided that they, you know, they, they're not going to use them anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a super incredibly efficient technology. <clears throat> um, Japan, Japan, Denmark, Germany, um, for example, they... Use they use um, these processes and have done for a lot of time. Um, they don't have like we have. Uh, I mean, we banned incinerators at least in Queensland. Uh, what thirty plus years ago they banned the backyard incinerator. We used to have a used, every every backyard in Brisbane used to have a Besser brick incinerator in the backyard, and you chuck all your garden waste in there and. Ah. And so they ban that. Yep. So now all that garden waste goes to the tip where they burn it. <laughs> <laughs> Much better, so, right? You know, well, they send it to Swan Bank or whatever and they burn it there and it, it does generate power. But it's like, you know, there's so much more we could be doing with it yep. for such a low outcome. Um, and places like Denmark are so um, efficient with their power systems that they don't have any waste left over. They're actually importing oh. waste from other countries <laughs> because they, they, they can't generate enough waste to, to, to use these power stations at their full efficiency. <laughs> so they're actually buying... They're, they're not buying power. They're exporting their power. They're selling their power for more than that's costing them to buy the rubbish from the other countries. Or they're not really buying... They're almost... Um, I guess they're, they're technically selling waste from the other countries because the other countries are paying to, to, to dump it, it there. 
So they're, they're not buying the waste, they're selling it? Well, you know what they say, don't you? One man's trash is another man's treasure. Mm. Or electricity, in this it, case. It's, it's literally true, yeah. They, they've run out of... Um, I think there's a few. I think Finland's another country that's done it. I was reading an article on it a, a couple of weeks ago. Mm. That they literally don't have any more rubbish. They've, <laughs> they've like... They've gone through their, you know, all their public parks and their nature reserves and everything, cleaned out all the stuff that's dead, and the, well, they've got pristine countries <laughs> because they just need more rubbish. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> like do Let's do it. Let's do it. There was a there was a thing. I think it was in Germany. I can't remember. I, I, I want to say it was Germany, but I could be wrong. Um, there was actually an issue of, uh, I think it was the last winter they had, where a lot of the new houses and estates that were built were so efficient they weren't using all the heating that were, they were expecting it to use so they had all the because um, they have a lot of um, a lot of the European towns have like understreet heating and a lot of your building heating and a lot of your heating is provided by the council it's all done through big water pipes and, and stuff like that and they're they saying to people, Look, you need to like turn your air conditioners on and cool your houses down so we can get the heats out of these pipes because the, you're not using enough of the heat that we're generating <laughs> and we're having backlog issues with generating the heat. So you, you've actually got to use some more heat. Like <laughs> I could do with that in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they didn't know what to do. They had snow and they're like, uh... then they had two inches of snow and they're like, Okay, let's shut down Texas. And then they had like a foot of snow and they went, okay, Texas is broken now. <laughs> yeah, electricity doesn't work anymore. And then it gets to summer and they're like, no, we don't have electricity for air conditioning either. So you either freeze <laughs> to death or you burn up. Something's going to happen. Well, you see, they've just California's just banned uh, like generators and stuff now. Oh. Yeah, you know there's yeah. no more small. They've basically banned anything with a small engine. <laughs> so you, you know, because. It's not like California had no power during those cyclones no. last year either. <laughs> it's like, do you, yeah. really? Do, do the people who, like, not no. pay attention to the world around them, like, at what point have you decided, oh, we don't need power anymore? Yeah. No. But, yeah, so together. I thought that's interesting that a lot of the world now is actually doing deals with big corporations instead of going, hey, that instead of going, hey, you need to be carbon neutral and have this many carbon offset credit, that it's like, just sell, just just dump all your rubbish over here, and we'll turn money. it into power. Yeah. You know, like that's that's literally how it is now. <laughs> so. HP is launching a Linux laptop preloaded with Pop OS, the Ubuntu-based distro created by System76. Yeah. The collaboration, which was quietly revealed by System76 CEO Carl Raquel on Twitter, is a pretty major one. It's the first time System76 has partnered with another computer company to ship their OS. It's also the first time that an HP laptop will ship with something other than vanilla Ubuntu. Specs for the 14-inch HP Dev 1 seem pretty sweet too. A landing page for the device says there's a sign-up to learn more email muncher on it. So if you're super interested, tells the HP Dev1 is built around an 8-core AMD Ryzen 7 Pro CPU, includes AMD Radeon graphics, ships with 16 gig of RAM, which will apparently be configurable up to 64 gig, <coughs> and a 1 terabyte NVMe M2 SSD for fast read-write speeds. 
Wow. No word on battery life, ports, connectivity, etc. yet. 12 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it's an AMD chip. You, I'm sorry, you can't have long battery life and an AMD chip. As much as I love AMD. Yeah. <laughs> the chassis of the device appears to be retooled from the rather well-received HP, HP Elite Book line. Get ready for a laptop that's customized for the way you code, featuring pre-installed Pop! OS Linux and a tuned Linux keyboard with a super key. HP Dev 1 was designed with developers in mind, the page week. The one product shot of the laptop at present is intriguing. The build of the laptop looks premium. The keyboard has an inset nub and an unbranded super key. Two presumably speaker grills flank the keyboard. Pricing for the HP Dev 1 starts at $1,099 sand shipping. As for where you'll be able to buy, it's as yet unknown. Availability is yet to be revealed. We're hoping Europe is included as System76 don't usually ship to Europe directly. Pop! OS is preloaded as the only OS on the HP Dev 1. Support for the laptop and the OS will be provided by HP reps. Firmware updates will come via LVFS, which is pretty cool. And more details on the HP Dev 1 will be revealed in June. Looks like you picked a good one to go with, Mr. T. Mm. You got me onto well, the damn thing. Yeah, that's great. The the yeah, well, System Seventy Six started off making hardware, couldn't find good software, so then they moved into making software to support their hardware. Yep. Um, it's interesting that they're using HP. I mean, HP. It makes sense because HP have a long history of running uh, AMD. Yeah, I think you could dual boot, couldn't you? You could either buy a Linux laptop or buy a dual boot and pick Linux or Windows, and it'll install whichever one. I think. Yeah, um, they've shipped with that. I mean, well, no, well, I think that was if you did a recovery, you had the choice. But if you bought one, you actually chose which one you bought when you when you purchased it. Right. But even back in the day when you had the HP like work workstations or whatever they're called, desk stations or whatever they called them. Yeah. Even back then, you could get them with Linux. Um, it was quite common to see Red Hat on them, actually, back in the day. Ah. Uh, they were very popular Red Hat terminals. Um, and they, yeah, have for, forever had AMD. Like, they do do Intel laptops and stuff as well, but honestly, like, 90% of the stuff I've ever seen out come out of HP is AMD base. Um, except their server stuff. That's that's usually Intel because it's server stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, I'm not surprised. I mean, they're using relatively standard hardware. Hmm. Um, I have had a couple of HP, and I actually currently have a HP laptop. Uh, I, I just hope that this is a step up in quality because the first one I had went through maybe six or eight hard drives in two years. Wow. That's um, I replaced the RAM like four times. It's all under warranty. Uh, they swapped the main board out twice. <laughs> they swapped the DVD drive twice. The battery was swapped about six or eight times. The screen got, got a brand new laptop several times. The screen got repaired like twice. And then the last time it went in, the main board went again. And they went, look, you've got three months left on your extended warranty um it's going to take us maybe six months to get a board because they're just not available so we'll give you the new 
model that's just come out, the the, the new because this was like the top end model like the three years prior, and they're like, well, we'll give you the top model now that's just come out. Yep. <clears throat> you know, similar specs. Thirty two. It was thirty two gig of RAM. I think it was a at the time a five hundred gig um, SATA drive. Um, I can't remember exactly. I think it was the Ryzen seven or Ryzen five processor. Like at the time, it was the top of the range. Hmm. And they said, look, one of the extended warranty. We'll put the standard two year warranty on it, but you'll lose the last the last like three months of your extended warranty. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Let's do that then, because you know I've had nothing but troubles with this other one. So I get the new one, and it's DOA. <laughs> wow, what's <laughs> yeah, your luck? It, it, they rocked up to Harvey Norman. They rang me, said, "Yep, yeah, come get it." I'm like, "Yep, yeah, cool." Oh, I better grab this. Better grab the you know information and whatever, and open it up to put the recovery in it, and wouldn't power on. Where? What did they like, say? So they got another. You're a jinx, sir. You're a jinx. Pretty much. <laughs> they didn't have any more because they ordered one specially, and it wasn't a one they carried because they don't have much demand for that. Yeah. Um, got the new one in. And it's currently living in the shed because within 18 months, the battery, I went through two batteries, two more hard drives, had the motherboard changed out twice, and the power brick's been changed out twice. Quality and it's out of warranty now. You know, so, like, HP used to make really good stuff, but, like, based on the... And, I'm not, and my sister bought a HP, and a friend of mine bought the HP, and they've had exactly the same problems with them. Nuts. So I really hope the System 76 is making them pick their game up mm. because they're going to get a if, – if they don't and they're relying on their current quality control, they're going to have a bad rap real quick. Well, at um, least it's not running Windows. That should be a good start. No. I mean, I hope – for HP's sake, I hope they just went through a sump and they've sorted it because even my new laptop now is like four years old. You know, it's an older model, and I just haven't bought another one because, well, I don't have a life and require a laptop anymore. Um, but <laughs> and if I was, I'd use an Android tablet anyway for everything I need to do. So, yeah. but um, I just really hope that they, they they have picked their quality up because, yeah, I really turned me off. I wanted to go back to my old uh, Cyrex six eight six six fifty. IBM ThinkPad that I had. Yep. That was a workhorse. That thing just churned all day and all night. I never turned it off. Yep. Even when it went in my backpack, it was never off. It was always processing something or doing something. <laughs> you know, it was just, it ran 24 7 for many, many years, that thing. You know, um, apparently the NEC Tough Books. Uh, and Panasonic Toughbooks are like the equivalent of what the old ThinkPads were, yep. but they're like $8,000. <laughs> so it's like I shouldn't have to step up from a $1,000 laptop to an $8,000 laptop <laughs> to have a reliable laptop. A $1,000 laptop should still be a reliable laptop. I should so. be able to pick it up, put it in my backpack, and walk three foot without something falling off it or breaking. Yep. <laughs> you know, so... Speaking of things falling off and breaking, Apple is in talks with EA Gaming. So oh, <laughs> you make of that of what you will. <laughs> so video game publisher EA is currently, or Electronic Arts if you prefer, is actively seeking a potential buyer for a merger. Apple has reported being in talks with the company about buying EA out 
according to Puck. Now, let me just check what Puck is. I think it's a magazine. Um, it doesn't say. You literally go to their website and it just says... Okay, yeah, it's like some online tabloid thing. Um, according to Puck, Disney and Amazon have also been in talks about purchasing the video game. The Redwood City-based firm has published hits like Apex Legends, Madden, and The Sims franchise. Really? They're the ones you chose to say that they're hits? Well, they're not no. going to pick Epic because Apple's battling them at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well. The idea of a buyout or merger came after Microsoft purchased Activision Blizzard for $68 billion earlier this year. Shortly after Sony purchased Bungle, the studio behind Destiny, for $3.6 billion. According to Park EA, ideally would like a merger so Andrew Wilson can remain CEO of the combined company. EA's roots actually go back to Apple back in 82. Apple then director of strategy and marketing, Trip Hawkins, <laughs> nice, left the company to start EA. A buyout wouldn't be Apple's first venture into gaming, however. The Cupertino company unveiled its gaming service, Apple Arcade, back in 2019. Uh, through Apple Arcade, users can play ad-free games on their iOS, macOS, and tvOS devices. Yeah. That's a hell of a user experience. EA spokesman John Rosenberg, Riesen, Riesenberg sorry, said the company would not commit, comment on any rumors and speculation relating to M&A. <laughs> <laughs> We're proud to be operating from a position of strength and growth with a pro portfolio of amazing games built around powerful IP made by incredibly talented teams and a network of more than half a billion players. We serve, we see a very bright future ahead. Uh -huh. Apple, Maybe they can fix um, the culture while they're at it. Well, yeah. So many devs with burnout and stuff. Well, that was, I mean, that was... Yeah, I mean that wasn't just them though. Really, no, in the in the peak of, of the mid nineties to early two thousands, that was every game studio. There was just such a you lived at work. From, you got to think, fell asleep under your chair and went back to work. Basically, I mean, when did we kind of had the advent of the Intel and the PlayStation and like the Dreamcast, uh, the Saturn. And all those sort of happened about the same time. So you suddenly had, um, like, like Doom, for example, or Quake, even being ported onto like eight different technologies at the same time. Like that was unheard of. Like yeah. they might port to Amiga and Commodore, or they might port to, you know, um, an Acorn and a PC yeah. or something. But to to port to like four different consoles and then to have an intel variant an amd variant because most of the games were different variants back then to run on different architectures yep. you know like it was i kind of understand why it occurred for that like 10 year probably a 10 year window but it shouldn't still be a thing no. um you know especially you, you give game i mean what were they saying that um was it uh, Crash Bandicoot? They were saying that they couldn't run on their development systems because they could only run it in wireframe mode and hope it looked okay when they actually pushed <laughs> it across to the PlayStation because the technology of the just the development program for the PlayStation was more powerful than even the most powerful rendering systems they had on yeah, PC. They had like Silicon Graphics, SunSparks, and 
Yeah, which were $40,000 computers <laughs> that couldn't run PlayStation graphics. You know, and so I suddenly, you know, I get why they had such a hard time doing it. Yeah. Then the irony, of course, is that, um, you know, PlayStation was ahead of the curve for a while because even PCs running emulations, it was a good 10 years before a PC could emulate a PlayStation at a decent frame rate. Mm. Uh, but now it's other around. Now, like a, a, a PC, a, a, not even a top end, a, a, a decent mid range PC can emulate even the, the top end consoles now without an issue at all. So we've kind of we've gone from these things where these. I think the original selling point of the consoles was that they were so damn powerful compared to a PC. It's like having you look an arcade machine at home. Yeah, I mean, you look at the specs on what the PlayStation was and what the um, the GameCube and the Saturn and um, I mean, even to some degree the the graphics capability of the N sixty four, which was an older console compared to those other ones, but. Um, no, the N64 came out, then the GameCube, sorry, wasn't it? Yeah. And then there's things like the Dreamcast, which was ridiculous hardware, like unheard of, like prototyped hardware mm. in the game mm. console. Like, that never happened. No. <laughs> you know, up until then, you had an Atari 2600 or a Nintendo Entertainment System. Like, they were, I mean, and then the Sega Saturn came out, which, yeah, nobody really played the Sega Saturn, honestly. No. The Mega Drive was popular, the Saturn not not so much yeah. um yeah it was a fascinating time and that's where they they really but you now like you look at one of the still most played games is grand theft auto 5 but it's a what is it seven year old game nine year old game now like they haven't they've had red dead redemptions come out since then but it's not great comparatively yeah. you know so the, the and uh rust and um uh Fort, fortnite and all these games that are coming out really aren't groundbreaking for the most part there's very few games coming out now that are that step that we had from basically really early you know mid-range pentiums to like playstation and Sega saturn like they, they were a massive leap in in game development but now it's kind of like they're just rehashing the same yeah unreal engine games or whatever engine they're using it looks a bit pretty they're, they're not um yeah that's it they're making the graphics look a bit pretty and making the sounds a little bit crisper but for what i mean it's still it's the same game in terms of uh gameplay and 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 uniqueness and development for the most part with there are a couple of exceptions but there hasn't really been much groundbreaking in well over 10 years in in gaming now so i do wonder what the future of these gaming companies are especially so i don't even understand why apple would want ea i mean i get i know that they're doing it just because they can and they're probably going to offer them 50 billion dollars and reach into the behind the couch to find it like it's (laughs) It's not a big deal for them, but I don't know of anybody who associates Apple with gaming. No. I mean, is that their next big leap? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there there were certain versions of iMacs and Emacs and stuff when they came out that you couldn't really even play a game on. They had their own, when they started bringing out their own Apple 
um, chips and stuff, <laughs> nobody was developing games for them. No. <laughs> you, you could play like Solitaire and, and Minesweeper and, well, no, they were Windows games. You couldn't even play those. No. <laughs> <laughs> you could play like some crappy 2D chess and stuff, but they, they didn't even have games on them because nobody was. De- I think Sierra was developing for Mac, but that was about it. Yeah. I remember playing a few Sierra games back in the day. So, I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. <clears throat> um, does that mean that they're going to try and bring out a gaming, you know, a gaming laptop? Like, I, I couldn't imagine. Maybe Apple TV is going to be a gaming device like an Xbox or PlayStation. Well, Apple TV has a little remote thing, doesn't it? So I guess, if anything, it'd be like a Wii. Yeah. <clears throat> You use the remote and do stuff with the remote. Because <laughs> although it does have the sensors as well, doesn't it? Like you can use the motion sensors for volume and stuff. Is that Apple TV? I think so. Yeah, eh, maybe. I don't know. Thanks for listening but, to the. Oh, sorry. You're right. I was going to say, but we'll see. We'll see where that goes in the next, you know, ten years. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Heads show. We can be found at Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Email us, Will or Warlock, at aussietechheads.com.au, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.